0: Oh, I'm down to get things started. Um, I think, as you know, what I do for a living has kind of put me in a very, very busy spot today uh, with canceling everything in my live music life. So apologies if I get a little distracted because I've got a lot of balls in the air right now. So, um, so yeah, uh, I guess um, I believe that someone on your end, Derek, has to read the statement from the city, correct? Yes. Is that me? Yep. All right.
1: Good evening, everyone. I am Peyton Williams. I'm filling in for Roger Steinbrock tonight. I have a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute or turn off individual videos to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name each time you speak for for the benefit of those participating remotely. And now I will turn the meeting back over to Chair Jackie
2: Becker.
3: All right,
0: thank you for that. Uh, Moving forward. Looks like we first need to approve the minutes. Everyone can take a look at those. And then I'm looking for a motion once you've read them over.
3: They've got a this is Marilyn Hall, board member.
2: I would move approval of the minutes as presented. They
4: got a quorum.
2: Al Reno board member, I second.
0: All right. We have a first and a second. I'm now going to look for everyone else to vote yay or nay to the minutes. So raise your hand if you say yay.
5: Uh,
0: looks like everyone says yes, so the motion passes. Six to zero.
6: So seven zero. zero,
0: you might ask. Seven including, okay, so one, two, three, four, five, seven to zero, yes. Moving on to letter C, public comment. Uh, we, Roger said we have some public comment today.
1: Uh, yes, we do. I believe we have um, Robert Brooks for public
0: comment.
4: Yes.
3: If you want to turn on your video.
4: Okay.
7: And I believe he has three minutes,
6: is that? Yeah. Or, okay. Hi, Robert, Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. You have three minutes for public comment.
8: Okay. I'm um, uh, was a curator at the Natural History Museum for about 20 years. Uh, I have a PhD in entomology. I got my doctorate under Charles Mitchner uh, on bees, and I have concern about uh, honeybees. Um, typically, honeybees are in a great decline. Uh, they provide about one third of our our food through pollination, uh, and I have. Notice that, and I get quite a few calls about bees going into houses in Lawrence and typically pest control services kill the bees. Uh, Very seldom are bees rescued. It's a quite a tedious task. I've done it dozens of times myself, usually with no charge, trying to save the bees. And uh, I have used a, and I've sent a letter, I've used these swarm boxes that are about 20 inches by 20 inches by 10. in the trees with particular attractants in the box, making them um, actually more attractive than tree holes more attractive than holes in houses and have almost had a hundred success uh, uh, colonization rate with these boxes. Uh, typically, if you have a swarm, it is from a hive that's overwintered. And the big problem, in throughout the world actually and throughout the united states is can you get your bees to overwinter the die rate is is up to 90 percent in some places especially in kansas Uh, a lot of um, a lot of things are attacking our bees well uh with the bees that are making it are the ones that are in the wild no one takes care of and so i've uh, got a program where i've been trapping feral bees and established bees which are fairly resistant to all these things that are killing bees that industrial beekeepers uh, have have seen. Um, And I would like to propose a program where we put these trap hives 12 to 15 feet high in a tree in remote areas in city parks. Doesn't have to be every city park. Uh, there are hundreds of swarms that are released in the city. Swarming season's coming up at the end of March. and starts through the summer. And uh, most of them, since the uh, tree holes are very usually occupied, most of them are going into houses. And I would like to rescue those bees and and uh, put them in the hives. Um, and I would like to start a program of mentoring People to have to do this. These these trap hives that had to be monitored once a week, and typically I've had uh, trees in towns that were on private property. I've caught many swarms. There are tons of swarms that go typically go into houses, and uh, I would like to uh, see if we can't do something about that. I don't know of any city in the United States that has a program actually to save honeybees. Some of them plant uh, pollinator. Friendly uh, patches like the one outside the library, Uh, but they're so minimal not to be of great use, but they're something better than nothing. Um,
4: That's what I want to, that's what I'm proposing. This is John,
8: now Bandian, board member. Robert, I have a question for you. Will you define a swarm for us? Okay, this is the natural way that honeybees divide colonies. Uh, the old queen leaves about half the bees, and this happens uh, starting you know, usually around April first, and goes to a suitable area, generally elevated. They prefer 12 to 15 feet, uh, and the hive that the half the hive that's left behind, they have queen cells. Queens will emerge. The first queen out kills all the rest, she mates and continues that uh, original colony. So this process is by which uh, honey bees divide their colonies.
2: And this is Val Renault board member. I just think it's a great idea and um, I hope we can accommodate it. I know there are techni- technical things that need to be discussed. I think it's also, we could probably find a lot of volunteers because a lot of people are concerned about the bees. Um, this doesn't address the overwintering at all, does it? Just the-
8: The overwintering, so if the if bees swarm, they have overwintered because packages that are brought in, Julian from, from uh, the bee store downtown gets packages from Texas. They were getting them from Georgia. They're not acclimated to this climate. They generally don't overwinter. If you if bees do overwinter, that shows some genetic success, and those are the things I want to propagate. But the ones that are out in the forest in the wild, it, I know Bee Trees and Lawrence that have been there for twenty years. No one's touched them, and they've done fine. They've been put into uh, hives, and they tend to something happens. And I, I, it would be uh, take a while to explain what I think is happening, um, but. Overall, I think we that we can, um, I would, uh, there's no financial obligation. This is all out of my pocket. I'd ask the state for nothing more than to cooperate in a program that I think can help novice beekeepers and um, promote a bee friendly pollinator friendly uh, environment in the city.
5: This is a board member. Um, Robert, I really appreciate your your knowledge and as well as the time that you're offering to um, take on this program. Um, There is one one of the six commitments in our city that states um, environmental sustainability. And I think that goes right along with it. And I I really support your idea. So thank you for presenting. it.
8: Thank you very much for your time. Mm -hmm.
5: This is
7: Amber Nickel, board member. I agree with everyone that has spoke so far. I really appreciated your well-written letter. I'm curious though, is there anything that you anticipate is going to be problematic or that our other citizens might be concerned about? Or is there anything that we should be thinking about that wasn't presented from your perspective?
8: Well, um, obviously, uh, if you have been in botanical parks almost all of them have beehives now in those parks. And if you have gone by a a, a small apiary in a botanical park like at Powell Gardens, they're not very far from the trail. You think, oh, there's a liability concern here. Well, those are at ground level. I'm proposing ones that are up 15, 12 to 15 feet, way out of the beast-like path. I anticipate no problems with people being stung. And having almost 55 years of experience with uh, honeybees uh, and seeing them in different situations, bees tend to be only aggressive when you try to get into their house. You bang on the hives. They go about their business in the summertime and they don't care about people that are below them 15 to 20 feet. And I know there's great interest in beekeeping, essentially, such that the city's open its borders to. Having hives, which I thought was fantastic, uh, there is I I have I can have no problem getting people to, to ride with me to go out and see bees. I can have twenty people coming with me at, the, at any time I want. And I thought, you know, I would love to. I'm almost seventy years old. Um, I worked with Charles Mitchner, who is the world's bee expert. Uh, I would greatly love to contribute something with my knowledge and help uh, young beekeepers and do something naturally without chemicals. I use no chemicals at all. I use the same as if they were out in a tree. I provide a house for them, that's like a tree.
0: Uh, Jackie Becker, uh, one uh, question for me would be, would we need as parks in Iraq Would parks and Rec need to provide some signage for say parents who know they have children who might have bee allergies or for anyone in our community who might have an allergy to a bee sting? Um, well, or you do know you what? That would be necessary.
8: I, that's a very good point. And that's why I put in my letter, a remote area of the park. This would never be located near a trail uh, like at the. Uh, oh, um, I'm just thinking like South park. Uh, we have, going to the, to, to the um, pavilion. Uh, you can have it in the middle of the park, up 20 feet high. Now, it might be interesting to have a sign that indicates they're there, that people might be interested in seeing them. But they'll be so far uh, up, uh, raised above the level that I can't see any problem with anyone ever being bothered by a honeybee. But uh, that is a concern, I mean, there's risk everywhere. I mean, at the playground, people can fall off that equipment. You have to have signs, don't fall. It's, it's a risk. I, I, you can label these things and maybe uh, people would be warned not to take their children near a tree that has a beehive. I would love to put a sign, City of Lawrence uh, Bee Rescue Program, do not disturb on the hive. Indicate that this is a, partner, a partnership with the city, uh at no cost to the city i'd be loved to give um talks about this in the city library at schools uh to maybe people could make their own trap hives and help bees besides the bees are free bees are very expensive when you buy them go ahead uh
4: john uh your
8: your mic's uh, muted okay yeah, john now bandy and board member uh question for the staff uh, we seem, the board seems to be pretty positive about uh, about this.
6: Do you uh, all have
8: reservations that we need to uh, consider?
6: Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. And uh, i back up what uh, Pat Phillips said when I saw the letter come in today, uh, or I read it today when it came in earlier, and saw the picture. I think it meets a lot of our sustainability goals, a lot of our strategic plan, Um, I believe there's ways that we could do this as city staff. We need to have some, uh, discussions and look at where and and how, and I think, a memorandum of understanding like we do with multiple user groups would be the way they go because user groups sometimes go and they stick around a long time and they work out great. And other times, sometimes you lose the volunteers and programs come and go, but, uh, I was fascinated when I saw the picture this morning, and I've always liked going up to uh, the Natural History Museum and seeing the bees. I know we wouldn't be able to see them way up in the tree, and maybe they're in some of our more remote um, conservation properties uh, where not everybody would interact or see them, but it would be good for bees. So Um, We need to have some further conversations with staff, but uh, we're very open to it.
8: I might say in closing is that I would paint these eyes and I'd camouflage them otherwise brown with green stripes so they blend into the bark there won't be an eyesore it won't be obvious Uh, because I'm all about the bees here but I'm I would love to uh, get people interested in in beekeeping and pollination friendly plants so I if we can get something going like this, I'd love to, to um, talk to the s- staff that plants and fills our, our, our city with beautiful plants about pollinator-friendly plants that are beautiful, that are perennials, that also provide a source
9: for honeybees. Mark Hecker, Assistant Director. Uh, Robert, I have a question. How many boxes are you thinking
8: about? Um, I would like to put one every square mile so I'm not sure how many square miles, the, all the parks and Todd, but if you have one every square mile, that it would be pretty well cover the whole city. I'm not sure how many that be.
9: So my second question would be, how are we, how do you hook these? Do you raise them up and down with a rope or how is that hooked in the tree? Uh,
8: I, I have a ladder, I put them up and I tie them with a, I, I have a strap that is a ratchet And so they're very, very firmly into a crotch of a limb, a tree. Uh, And and I never, ever had one fallen down, even under high winds. Um, I secure them very, very well. And I make them, they're made really quite well I use them over and over. In fact, the hives get better and better because as I take a swarm out of the hive, that odor in there makes them even more attractive. Mm Um, This is uh, John Nelbandian, board member. Um, If it's not inappropriate, I'd like to make a motion uh, that um, the staff get together with Dr. Brooks and figure out a way to um, uh, make this this happen. Marilyn
7: Hull, board member, I would second that.
0: Jackie Becker, we have a motion and a second. So I'm looking for a vote from the rest of our board. Uh, For those who say yes, please raise your hand. And it looks like we have all seven members saying yes. So motion passes. Robert, thank you, doctor. Thank you so much. Um, I have a pollinator garden in my backyard. So I'm very excited to see our community work to keep saving the bees and, and definitely making our planet a better place.
8: And really, I and once I can establish these bees, I'd like to make them available to people because we're right now we're getting bees from Texas and Georgia that are not doing well here. So I'm looking for bees that are acclimated to this area, and the way you get them, you have to trap them.
2: this I mean, is Val Val Renault, board member. I just wanted to say, since you probably don't know Dr. Brooks, that we didn't we have a proposal to put pollinator uh, plants in our parks anyway, so this is working together and I think it makes Lawrence progressive in the way we- Yeah, like I would love
8: to having, you know, been a beekeeper since I was eight years old, I'd love to give suggestions about which plants are the best uh, in terms of providing uh, a, a rich uh, palette of pollen and nectar and that look, look attractive. If I could do that, I'd love to be able to suggest less certain things to the uh, the people that, that do those plantings.
7: This is Marilyn Hall board member. I, I For staff, I think Derek mentioned maybe um, making this available to, or for partnerships with other groups. Uh, I would really like staff to consider that. I know there's a native plant group here in town that, um, you know, the Grasslands Foundation has plant sales and things. I'm always a little wary of something that depends upon one individual. Um, Although individuals, you have to have individuals to do great things. I think it'd be helpful and I'd encourage staff to look into ways to um, expand this a little bit um, to see if we can get a local nonprofit or other partners involved.
8: That's why I proposed a mentoring program because I would, uh, I'm just one person and I am almost 70 years old in a couple of days. Uh, And uh, one of the things that that, uh, Mitch and I talked about is, is promoting honeybees within the city. Chip Taylor, who runs it at KU, is a good friend of mine. He has bees in West Campus. But uh, now that there's such an interest in bees in the city, I like to see young people take over this and uh, and I'd love to mentor that.
2: Al Renault, board member, I think Jackie's cat is very interested in this. <laughs> in all of the, um, I, I just had a question about where you said the one square mile, is that one square mile per, per park or are you, Figuring the city of Lawrence. I'm thinking
8: if I can have, if I can get a, I'm thinking of of covering the city as best I can. I mean, this program, of course, can grow, but I have right now about 20 trap hives. That's 20 square miles. I don't know how many square miles the city limit
4: is in. Do anyone know that?
6: i was going to say Derek Rudge Parks Recreation, Mark might have a good idea. If you run the levee, I know when I bike it, you probably got 10 miles in the end along the uh, north side of the Kansas River alone. Uh, we were talking today on conservation and land property and what we'd like to do. And um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. The city of Lawrence is probably one of the largest property owners within the city. Uh, more so even than KU and their lease property out the Corps of Engineers, another 1,600-plus acres. Uh, My question to you, Dr. uh, Dr. Briggs, have you talked to the state of Kansas and uh, out by Clinton Lake, and do you have anything going on out there right now?
8: Well, you know, I really want to start with the city first, but I'm planning to talk to the state in terms of the schools because they own property and they have large trees, and I could have a program... Uh, directly with uh, the middle and probably the secondary schools. Uh, I would be interested in Clinton Lake too, especially all those trees out there. There's lots of wild bees. Um, there's a particular uh, cultivar of bees I'm after, which I found two swarms of last year. And that's the first bee that was brought here 400 years ago. It's a dark Northern bee from the, uh, you know, northern parts of England, and Scotland, It's super, um, what should I say, resilient bee that has escaped a lot of the problems. And I found, and it's still here, I've, I found two of these uh, colonies. Uh, I, that's what I'd like to propagate. That bee is a bee that seems to be resilient to all the problems and has acclimated this area. Been here since, well, pioneers came here, brought the bees around. First bees came into camps about 1850.
4: So I was just pretty excited to catch
8: these two swarms that were what we called European black bee.
9: Just trivia 35 square miles is Lawrence.
8: 35 square miles.
9: We need more than that, don't we? More than 35 boxes.
8: Well, yes, we do, because there will be hundreds of swarms. But uh, I monitor these bees once. I'll drive around and check them uh, once every all oh, three or four days. And when the swarm season starts, um, I'll take the swarm down in the evening when they're all home. Put a new box up and take the take it out to an prairie which is north of town. Uh, where I, I, I build these double-walled hives, they're like trees, and I put them into that and they have great insulation in the wintertime. And this all takes a lot of time, but I enjoy
4: it. I love it. Yeah, someone asked me, do I have a pet? Yeah, I've got about 4 million of them.
3: <laughs> Any
0: other questions? All right. Thank you, Dr. Brooks. And um, I guess I can say Parks and Rec, please get with Dr. Brooks and let's start hopefully making this happen for our community. Thank you.
8: You have my email message. How can I uh, give you my contact information? What's the best way? Just the email, the 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 Parks and Recs uh, that Park and Rec email address?
6: Is, is that Rogers, how I should do it? Hmm? Parks, Derek, Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation, uh, Mark Hecker is uh, director for parks, and uh, he'll he'll respond to you. And you can get your information to him. And we'll get a meeting set up, get things rolling. Okay,
8: if you can forward that letter, some of you maybe had it to him, and um, he's got it. I think. <laughs> I think he got it. This oh, he got it. Okay, I sent it to when I got on there. I my neighbor Steve uh, Stephen Evans, and he's had uh, you know you know Steve. So he's helped me, him and April's helped me uh, do this. Uh, we're great gardeners. April and I are back and forth. Steve and I blew beer together. And uh, he was the one that kind of uh, kind of got me onto Parks and Rec. So I told him what my ideas were. I said, you're gonna need to talk to Parks and Rec. Uh, so, okay, so you guys will contact me or?
6: Yes, sir. Uh, Derek Gretz, Parks and Recreation. Mark reach out to you via email and then you can shoot your contact over and you'll have ours. Very good. I sure appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank
8: you. Thank I'll you. go ahead and leave the meeting now. Thank you.
0: Bye, Dr. Brooks. Well, that's pretty exciting. Uh, very cool. Yeah. All right, so it looks like moving on to our next set of things is going to be oh, elections. So agenda item number one is election of the board chair. I believe, how do we, how does this work? Do I start this off or do you all, does Derek start this?
6: Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Um, my Roberts rules is not is rusty. Um, Dr. John Nalbandian could probably help me out on the rules as we go along on how we look for nominations. <laughs> I think the first thing would be a nomination for a board of chair, and then we get a second on a nomination, and then we take a vote on that. I think that's how it should flow. So we'd open up the floor to nominations for election of board chair.
1: Amber Nickel, board member, I will nominate Jackie Becker for board chair.
6: Uh,
0: Jackie Becker here. Um, I'm ready to accept that nomination this year. Thank you.
7: you. Marilyn, (laughs) I second that nomination.
6: Carolyn, seconds. But any more nominations from the board? I think there's three calls here, at I recall. Any more nominations from the board? Third time, any more nominations from the board? Hearing none, nomination process is closed. Now, uh, Jackie, you can have the vote for the board.
0: All right, so I guess I'm looking for a vote to nominate Myself, Jackie Becker, as the chair for 2022. Um, can it just be through hands or does it have to be I? Oh, how about a, just raising your hands if you say yes?
6: All right. So, what, it was unanimous. 7-0.
0: Thank you, everyone. And uh, yes, my cat, Eddie Money, will not leave me. And so I guess he'll be joining me for this ride this year, too. Uh, so, sorry, I, if I take him off, he's going to jump all over me. Uh, for step two, will now be uh, election of the vice chair. If anyone would like to step up for nominations for that,
5: Pat Phillips, I'd like to nominate John Albanian for a vice chair.
3: Al Renault, I second that nomination.
0: John, are you able and willing to accept that nomination? All right. Anyone else looking for a nomination for vice chair? All right. I don't see any others. So let's put this to a vote. All in favor of John Nelbandian to be the vice chair for this year, please raise your hand. Again, this is unanimous 7 0. Congratulations to John Nelbandian as assistant chair. Thank you. Anything else we need to do on the voting end, Derek, or is that all we need for right now?
6: Derek Rutherford from Parks Recreation. I believe we are complete, and the elections is confirmed. Jackie Becker, chair for 2022, and John Nabandian, vice chair, 2022.
5: Wonderful,
0: uh, Jackie Becker. That means we're moving on to step three uh, or number three, which is a COVID update for us. If you could give that to us,
6: okay. Uh, Derek Rogers, director of Parks and Recreation. It's been a, a wild ride since the week of Christmas on, um, so I'll, I'll try to recap how things went. Um, I have reached out to uh, one of the board members and a lot of community. So, Lawrence Douglas County Public Health on, they usually put their numbers out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, going into Christmas. They didn't put the numbers out for Wednesday. didn't put them out for Friday. They were late after Christmas, getting them out Monday. I think we got them Tuesday. Numbers of COVID cases, positivity rate, jumped dramatically. Um, we went into the red, playing Monday morning quarterback now, what we did. And based on the red... Uh, We have city guidance, which is based on Lawrence Douglas County Public Health, and it's a little more restrictive, basically you limit access to our facilities so our city buildings, you need an appointment to get into Um, and parks and recreation we're trying to to figure out because this has been a dynamic process and not static and continues to evolve. What can we do to keep as much as we could open without having to shut our buildings and send our employees home and put them back on Zoom? Uh, so in working with our risk management and state leadership, we were able to keep the recs open, but the drop-in programs uh, fell out. Guidance for what we do for tournaments is what we've done since the beginning of COVID. Uh, we typically get the numbers on Thursday in order to telegraph to the public what's going on, it would become effective on Monday. So we don't just shift and say uh, to the public, no, don't come in Saturday morning or Friday morning. <clears throat> the message didn't go out to the city until Monday or Friday morning. Uh, paper picked it up, I believe. Uh, There's still some folks that didn't get the message. You know, they go out there late Sunday and do what they're gonna do and then Monday, Told that there's no more drop-in. <clears throat> the reason for the limited access for the drop-in is we have uh, a case of somebody that has COVID. We know be the contact, so we have a time, place, date, um, and that happened actually the week right after New Year's. Um, one of our uh, special pops classes supposed to have a camp going into school and on that first day one of the the kids tested positive for COVID we notified everybody in the class and we canceled the program and and that was that Um, the numbers after new year's were even worse if you recall same type of setup on the Wednesday Friday from public health they did get the numbers out after the holiday I believe on Monday Um, public health came out and I think it was before that, maybe Christmas Eve, that they were going to have a meeting on January 12th, I believe, with the county. So they created a new public health order that began January 7th through January 12th, 100% mass required indoors. Um, So in a lot of ways, we're waiting to see what happens. Um, The metrics that Douglas County public health tracks We've hit records from what I can see. We got the report today too. The numbers have dropped some. Um, But our positivity rate, average daily count, average daily case count is now 214. Anytime we're over 50, we'd be in the red. I think they probably need that. Some new color codes or some new metrics for 14 day moving average. The average positivity rate, 19.3. One of the Interesting numbers, um, which is the whole reason we do what we do. Is uh, current number of COVID patients, inpatients at LMH Health, is currently sitting at eighteen. And then the number of current active cases—anything over a thousand was would put us into the red. We're at three thousand three hundred and twenty-three, so we're three times over there, and we're over four times higher on the average daily case count. So things that continue to evolve, they still continue to evolve. How do we get things back? Um, I like consistency. As a department, we like consistency and you know we're just as frustrated as everybody else um, when there's no drop-in. I wanna go walk the track. How is that any different than a program? How is it you have a tournament yet? Yeah. So we're trying to limit the exposure from the tournaments, but recognizing we still have tournaments and using the same criteria, we'll make the decision on Thursday going forward, but it won't be effective until the Monday uh, following. Staff is working on a, uh, a system where an individual can sign up and we'll have a way of tracking who's in there, how many people are in the facility and, uh, Possibly limiting the time. I think the staff, rec staff are still working on that, but we'll have a way that people can still come in, they can walk a track. Um, and trying to encourage less people in one place. My perspective from and parks and recs is we've got excellent neighborhood rec centers. I go use the community building, you know, in early December, and there's eight people in the whole facility when I'm on a carding machine looking at the gym, and there's people in the weight room. Um, I think uh, there should be more encouragement that if we're going to spread out and go do the drop-ins, try to take advantage of the neighborhood rec centers and not just everything's got to go to the Sports Pavilion Lawrence, especially on a a weekend where there's a lot of public from out of town. So, with that, Lindsay, do you have anything to add?
1: Sure. Uh, Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director. Uh, Derek, you summed it up. Uh, pretty well. But like you said, we're, we're working hard. We're having some discussions this week, trying to figure out how we can get people back in our facilities. Again, like you mentioned, we're getting a lot of requests for, you know, track usage, weights, and cardio. And we're just looking at ways we can maybe set up some blocks of time throughout the day where we can limit the number of people that come in. And, you know, we will know by signing in and signing out who's in the building. And that way, if we do have, a case occur, then you know we would uh, be able to easily contact the people who may have been exposed. So yeah, we're we're definitely hearing from the public, and and we understand the need to try and open up as soon as possible. It's it is important, you know, for physical and mental health. So uh, just kind of navigating the the direction we're getting from public health and uh, trying to do what we can do safely. So uh, like Derek said, we're going to wait and see. What happens uh, after the, the board meeting? It sounds like on Wednesday, and then hopefully we can have a plan in place that we can implement next week.
6: And Derek Rogers, director of Parks Recreation, with that, open up any questions the board might have. I'm sure uh, emails go to you folks just like they do the city commissioner, our department, so.
7: This is Marilyn Hull, board member. What's the rationale between, uh, what's the rationale for allowing tournaments to go on at the sports pavilion from a public health perspective?
6: Eric Rogers, director for Parks and Recreation. Uh, We had a a mass requirement which went into effect, which still goes on. Uh, You look at the for the city, we're at, or for the county, we're at 70% vaccinated, 42%, I believe, was the last numbers of the boost. Um, haven't had outbreaks. Again, like we did in the past, the decision on whether or not to hold a tournament was based on the numbers on Thursday. And if we shut it down, it would be on Monday. Some of it is just trying to keep from disrupting the public. So the last tournament over... Last weekend, I believe, or the weekend this weekend before that, it was January 2nd. Um, the same rules that the tournament used was the same rules for all the general public. Um, we didn't restrict anything there. Last weekend, uh, the drop-ins were the limited access, which was following our guidance. Um, limited spectators. Um, feedback I had was the masking was compliant this last tournament weekend. Um, Douglas County in their previous uh, excerpts talked about uh, possibly limiting sporting events. So that's one of the things we'll be monitoring uh, Wednesday night from the county, if they're looking at doing that or not, but that was something that was in the paper from LDCPH. I don't know if Mark or Lindsay has any other
3: uh, rationale on that.
9: Mark Hacker assistant director, just things to add. that So example, volleyball tournaments are governed by the HOA, which is Heart of American Volleyball. So they have very strict rules on what can and can't happen for these tournaments to allow them to continue to operate. So we follow their guidelines. And then we also follow CESHA guidelines. So they're dictating what can happen and can't happen with high school sports. So at this point in time, it's basically masking so all parents have to mask. The, the students, players have to mask while they're not actively engaged in, in the sport. So I feel like we're doing pretty good following everybody's rules. And, and quite honestly, the people that are that are coming into the building are following the rules. So we don't really have a, a solid reason for to say this needs to be shut down. It, you know, that, this happened back in the. When we started the pandemic, they shut down all high school sports. KU okay, didn't have anybody in the stands, that sort of thing. So, you know, we're obviously thinking about it, preparing for it, but not, not being first out the lead on just closing the doors on everything.
5: This is Pat Phillips board member Um, Lindsay when you were talking about limiting the number, then I was visualizing at some point that might mean telling someone that's coming up that you can't enter correct.
1: Yes, that's correct and again that's kind of what we're discussing uh, this week. We, we started some uh, preliminary layouts today and uh, first we're looking at what our capacity would be and we're, we're starting with uh, about a 50% capacity of each building and obviously if you look at SPL that's most likely not going to be a problem. Um, We feel like the building is big enough um, that folks can spread out and we would hopefully not reach that capacity. The smaller neighborhood rec centers may have that issue. And again, that's kind of what we're talking through is how we, you know, when we get our messaging out, explaining to people that there could be a chance that they come to, you know, exercise at a particular time block and they may get turned away if we are already full Um, So, again, those are some things that we're working out right now as a staff, we want to make this as seamless as possible and as user friendly as possible, you know, and and do our best to avoid having to turn people away. Have you also
5: considered um, like a time limit, you know, for those people that are in there that they have a certain amount of time that and then they leave so that that'll accommodate people that are waiting
1: Yes, Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director. Yes, that's uh, definitely something we have discussed. So again, we're we're talking through, uh, you know, what those time limits could be, and um, you know how we how we would navigate through allowing people to sign up and come in and out at the different time blocks. And I think that's something we can evaluate once we get started and see kind of what the numbers look like. And you know, we can always make slight adjustments if we need to. Um, as we go along, and and again, we we really want to make this as user friendly as possible, and and you know make it make it an easy process for everyone. Thank
0: you, uh, Jackie Becker. Uh, Lindsay, can you tell me how this would affect the aquatic center? Then also,
1: they right now. Um, I know they. Were, we had given them the ability to open the leisure pool, similar to what they did over winter break with uh, the, a similar process where people would sign up for certain time slots. And so they're, um, we have the ability to do that, but unfortunately right now we don't have the staff. And so they, they are doing what they can with the staff we have at the moment, um, but they are still offering um, the lap swimming and, you know, um, the, the pool is still open for certain times of the day. And I know we have a schedule um, that's, that they put together when we moved into the red category. Um, but I do know that right now the leisure pool is not able to open and it's mainly a staffing issue, not a COVID issue.
0: Any other questions from the board for Parks and Rec regarding COVID? Okay, uh thank you for the update uh, everybody and let's hope we can find a good solution next week that can keep our our buildings open and allowing our Lawrence citizens and Douglas County residents to to utilize our spaces. One uh, additional note,
9: all parks and trails are open.
0: that's a good thing we should push to definitely because it's going to be nice out in the coming days so hopefully that helps uh, so on our agenda item we're up to number four which is the turf field update if someone wants to jump in on that for
6: us Derek rogers director of parks and recreation um uh, it's been a, a long journey but uh, we've made it through a uh park advisory board and two city commission meetings and um it's taken a lot of time of um uh, Spring Call Valley and city staff, and we had a very good collaborative effort going forward. And I don't know if everybody watched the last city commission meeting on how it played out. Um, we have some new commissioners and a new city commission board seated. Um, they brought up some of the some very good questions about equability and soccer fields as a community asset. Uh, The direction that I heard out of that meeting, and I think the mayor kind of summed it up and uh, find out what the other user groups would like and try to work with all the other user groups and split the fields up in an equitable way to allow more of our community members to participate, Um, have a public meeting about YSC in the soccer fields, and then come back to the city commission. So I'm excited about the opportunity and the the clarity of direction. It's not uh, really what we thought the direction was gonna be going forward out of the last meeting, but I think uh, in the long run, it's the best for the community and uh, look forward to the next process. Um, Parks and Rec staff have been working uh, to come up with a, a great plan to be more proactive and manage the space out of YSC. And I'm very impressed by what, what they've collaborated together and uh, pulled together to reach out to all the user groups and find out the requests for days, times, sizes of the fields. So just like the swim teams that use the Aquatic Center, we have a good process going forward. Um, so that's where we are today. Uh, that email may have gone out today; it may go out tomorrow to the user groups, um, but it will be a different way of managing that resource, and probably something we should have done a long time ago. Uh, we just get busy and didn't have our eyes on the ball. So that's that's where we stand with the uh, uh, turf agreement. Mark, you chime in if there's something
9: I'm missing, or the board has questions. Mark Ecker, Assistant Director. Net. I, I think he summed it up pretty well. I was a little bit encouraged that I felt like the City Commission was supportive of the idea. Maybe just wanted it to be a little, little bigger net to cast to make sure we were catching everyone.
3: Uh,
0: Jackie Becker, I'm not seeing any other questions. So if there aren't any more, we'll move on to our next topic on the agenda, which is number five, the Yarda update.
9: Mark Ecker, system director. I don't know that we have any updates. Um, Quite honestly, this has kind of fallen down the priority list a little bit with working on the turf fields and some of the year-end finance and year startup finance. So... We need to kind of re-energize that conversation a little bit.
7: This is Marilyn Hill, board member. Um, I was contacted by um, a Journal World reporter for an update on Liarda. Mark, did, did you were you able to have a conversation with her?
9: Mark Hecker, assistant director. No, she didn't contact me today. So I don't know if she's still out being sick or not.
7: Marilyn board member was just interesting to me that the, at, um, she inquired about it. Um, I have had an email exchange with Norm Murphy, who represents the people interested in La Yarda, asking um, if they would be willing to meet with those of us on the subcommittee and Mark. And I'm waiting to hear back from her. So I think that had been our intention Um, as we got into December, it looked like it was going to have to fall after the first of the year. So I'm trying to follow up with her. I'm not sure that all the interested parties have access to zoom. So I'm a little bit concerned about that, but um, I'm waiting to hear back from her and um, then we'll all reach out to Val and Jackie and Mark, anybody else on staff that wants to be involved, we'll try to get, A meeting scheduled really to get a response to what we shared with them, which were the recommendations that I went through maybe a couple meetings ago. And we still don't have a response from them um, on that. So that's the next item of business is to get their feedback on that and see what the next steps might be.
0: Uh, Jackie Becker here. Marilyn, thanks again for always taking the lead on this and keeping it in the forefront. And uh, I guess uh, we'll just look for an update uh, coming soon once you're able to connect with them and and make sure we have all parties represented and able to discuss the bullet points that you put forth earlier. Anything else on your end, Mark or Derek? Okay, so that will move us on to our next which would be the winter emergency shelter update, which I believe is you, Derek.
6: Yep, yeah. yeah, I need to figure out a way to delegate better. <laughs> Too many of these, Derek Roger, Director of Parks Recreation. Overall, I uh, just want to give an update on the winter emergency shelter. I talked to uh, some of the staff on Sunday and I believe we had over 40 some people that slept in the community building uh, as part of the winter shelter. I haven't heard uh, numbers for the night. i had asked staff for some updates. The, uh, the big things that I had noticed, I was down there New Year's Eve or, or Christmas Eve, I'm getting my days mixed up. Um, but what I did observe, the volunteers and the, the staff that we are paying and the people that are utilizing the program, um, from what I can tell, are, are doing a, a great job and getting along. There are obviously Um, sometimes you have, uh, some folks that have, uh, some, uh, mental, social issues in the population. Um, but for the most part, they have been minor. Um, staff continues to look at ways to improve, uh, how they do things, uh, going back to, New Year's Day, we stayed open as a day shelter, if I recall, because the temperatures and the wind chills were really low. Um, People were grateful. That was the day I went down there because I was thinking, how are people going to deal with sitting inside the same building all day and not go stir crazy? Uh, I know I would. And I would say that they did a great job of getting along and um, riding out the the cold temperatures. if you were to compare last year's data with putting people up in hotels, if you were looking at the budget financials I don't have them in front of me versus what we're spending on this program, it's night and day, uh, this is a lot more efficient. Um, so that's about as good as update as I can give. We haven't reached capacity year. capacity was set for 75 before we'd overflowed to the East Lawrence Center. We haven't hit anywhere near that yet.
2: Eric, this is Val Renault board member. I just when I mean, you mentioned the motel hotel program. Of course, people had a lot more privacy there. Um, so how I was just curious, how does the male-female part work or families or um, how do you how do you arrange all that?
6: The families, I haven't seen anybody with the kids. I know family promise. If we had families, the, the plan was we'd contact them to reach out and they would take care of the families. Um I think we do have some, for example, mother-daughter or, or father-son type of scenario, but the, the kids are a lot older, um 16, 17, the one or two cases I recall. Uh, people kind of go to their own corners, which is nice. If they find a space and you know they'll, they'll sit down, or you know, a few folks I noticed were walking around the gym and um but pretty much everybody kind of picks an area and they bed down. Uh, I know the cleaning protocols. They changed some of that up, uh, so they got a little more efficient there. We do have a microwave. They looked at how they did the food. Um, so there's tweaks to it every day. The beauty of it is I'm not into the process, and um, not too often that staff contacts me and says we have a problem. So that's fantastic. It means it's running okay. <laughs>
7: Amber Nickel, board member. I'm curious how the call for volunteers is going.
6: (laughs) Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation, the call went out. I believe we had over 100 volunteers sign up. Um, We've had some folks that for volunteers, we looked at the ages of volunteers. I think we came back and said uh, 16 or older um, just because of the potential in some of the, the environment. That was over this school break we had some of those requests but when the call went out we we got a big response um so that's been good it's usually the last minute and look at the covid right now um and what that's doing the businesses parks and recreation has been extremely lucky um we had one out got one back and i yeah tell city staff that you know we don't have uh, 20 or 30 percent down with like some of the departments. And then I talked to Mark today and he goes, well, we just lost a small division. Uh, we had a COVID, so we've got some folks out for quarantining. But we have been extremely either lucky or doing very good at our rec centers to not have um, something that's gonna shut us down yet. So
0: Jackie Becker, um, you mentioned the the day shelter. Is there a, a like a rule with the city when things are too cold for extended period of times that we would allow for more days? Or did that just happen because it was the first of January and, and maybe city buildings were closed and stuff?
6: Um if you could say the stars aligned in a good way on a cold day, that was it. Um we have talked as a staff um on. How we could do some of this, and then we ended up with limited facilities and some other restrictions. Normally, what last year, what we did is we promoted wouldn't call them a day shelter. We, we had warming sites for anybody in the city. If, if you're cold and you're walking around and you're downtown, and you're shopping or something, walk into the rec center. Or you know, if you're out walking on a trail out by Sports Pavilion, go into the rec center, warm up for a little bit, um, and then move on. So we've talked about that with limited access. It's kind of like setting up a program. I think once we have a program up, uh, we could do that or we could advertise that. But I think that's um, more so on New Year's Day or Christmas Day where everything is closed. Where in the world are you gonna go? And you can't even go to McDonald's on, on, and it's 15 below with a wind chill. So that was a concern versus sometimes during The middle of the week, and you get a a windshield. Can you go into a business? Yeah, or there's other opportunities, could be the library too. So um, it's something we're looking at, but we haven't set any defined parameters.
3: This is Marilyn Hull, board member.
7: Um, Is the Lawrence Community Shelter? admitting any, anybody now? Is there any possibility of you know people moving from the overnight shelter out to the community shelter?
6: Derek Rogers, director of Parks and Recreation. Um, I'm not an expert in that area. I do ask some of the same questions. Um, I believe the capacity um, is 50-ish or less out of the Lawrence community shelter. Um, But I have not heard of, uh, and it doesn't mean it's not happening, but I haven't heard of anybody being transitioned out to the large shelter. Um, But I I think those are probably community conversation uh,
4: items that will come up at some point.
0: Jackie Becker, Chair, any additional questions regarding the shelter right now from board?
5: This is Pat Phillips, board member. I just had one other question. Thank you, Jackie. Um, Derek, I, I think it was New Year's Eve that um, got a message from people that there was a need for um, snacks and things like that for this, um, the overnight shelter. Um, is that something that you constantly need uh, that we might want to let the community out? Uh,
6: Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. I, Lindsay could probably uh, step in. I, I know there's a need. We've also had some corporate sponsors. For example, McDonald's uh, provided uh, meals on weather days and partnered with them. And that might have been New Year's Day. I can't recall. Um, where... The food gets dropped off, and with limited access, I think we changed that location. Um, but I I can't remember where if that's the Castle Tea House or wherever the United Way is now. I just don't recall um, where that ended up. Lindsay, do you recall?
1: Yeah. Or now, Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director, I was I was going to try to look real quick. I do know that they changed the location because of our limited access because it was causing confusion for food drop-offs. But to be honest, I'm not sure they said where they moved it. <laughs> so that's something that we can we can get an answer. Uh, we can follow up on that. I can I can check on that.
0: All right, Jackie Becker. Uh, I don't see any additional questions, Lindsay. Thank you for that information. Uh, It looks like we're moving now on to our next section, which is E-concerns, board members, items of interest. So anything else board members would like to bring up right now is the time. This might be a first. I don't think no, no comments from anybody. We must've had them all on the,
2: on the agenda already. Okay. Well, Well, this is Val Renault. I'll just say that I went to the um, holiday party, which was fun. And I met a couple of the new, um, the plant ladies. I can't remember. (laughs) Anyway, the horticulturists or the, so that was, it, it was nice to meet some staff. So thanks for inviting
0: us. Jackie Becker, thanks for being a board member who attended. I think I was already out of town by then, so I'm glad you made it out and got to meet some people. All right, we're up to our staff update, and um, I believe that uh, Lindsay will be presenting something for us. Yes.
1: Yes. And I know Roger sent out a message uh, starting next month. We will get this to you all ahead of time. And um, that's, I think, will be a good process moving forward. And so I'm just going to read this as part of my report today. But again, you'll have it uh, written ahead of time for next month. But uh, the good news is that even though we're in the red status, we are still able to do quite a bit of programming, which was something that we fought hard for, uh, since our programs are pre registered pre scheduled and paid for ahead of time we can control. With masks and social distancing and things like that so we're very excited that we're able to keep many of our programs going and we're actually very busy Um, so. Starting in just this month in January, we have 23 fitness classes, five martial arts classes, over 35 gymnastics programs. Uh, we're doing, we did camps over the winter break for ninja and dance. Uh, a lot of the youth and adult dance classes are starting up as well. And um, so that's, those are the programs mainly at SPL. Then our youth sports, we have um Rec basketball and hoopsters are both starting up this week and indoor soccer and volleyball will begin in February. Uh, As far as adult sports, they are also getting ready to start we'll have basketball and volleyball uh, nearly every day of the week at SPL and for lifelong recreation we're actually able uh, to provide quite a bit there as well we have 25 fitness classes going on over the winter. Um, And those are spread out throughout our various facilities of the community building, East Lawrence, Holcomb and SPL. Uh, Some of the non-fitness classes we have kind of put on hold to wait and see kind of what what happens with this red status and things like that. So um, they're making an effort to keep the fitness classes going but some of the other ones they're just holding off as precaution. Um, And for SPL, again, we already mentioned the tournaments. We have the HOA tournaments going on every weekend in January and and continuing after that. Um, They were able to do a few uh, updates. Um, They were able to replace some new volleyball pads, and uh, we're getting a new uh, projector and a screen in the Legacy Room, uh, which will be a, a nice addition for that room for many of our programs. And, um, you also mentioned aquatics, uh, they, they did pretty good over winter break. Like I said, we were able to open the leisure pool, which was very exciting. Cause I know it's been closed for a while and they had over 350 swimmers and parents attend the open swim. So that was really fun to see. And, uh, they're also beginning the water fitness classes and they're, they're all full at the moment. So a lot of fun things to share. And, and we're, like I said, we're doing the best we can and, and offering as much as possible. So that's it, unless anybody has any questions.
9: If Lindsay's done, uh, this is Mark Hacker System Director. I'd like to provide you a little update on some of the bigger projects, if that's OK. I'm going to share screen here. Able to see the project list. So this is the you've seen this before. I think this is a project list we run just continuously. So I wanted to update you on a few projects. The Holcomb Complex, the shade structures over the bleachers, has been kind of an ongoing this year. We anticipate that's going to go in in April. The water spray park over at uh, on Burroughs Creek Trail, on 15th Street, again was supposed to go this summer. We of ran into some planning issues, so we're sitting in a floodplain, so we had to do a lot of variances. It goes city commission for um, special use permit approval in twice in January. So we anticipate starting construction on that in February. Hopefully it'll be done early um, before, before May is my goal on that one. Um, the Lawrence Loop project from 8th to 11th, if you haven't been by, is pretty much done. They finished the 29th Street section. I was by there today and they're actually putting up rails, which is an indication to me that we're getting pretty close to complete on that one. Uh, East Lawrence Center that we're replacing the HVAC unit on the gym. Uh, That that was supposed to happen before it got cold, but that didn't happen. So we're going to try to hit it in the spring. So those are all 21 projects. So when we turn the page to 22, we start looking at the CIP projects that are funded and budgeted. So you can see here a list of projects that, that we anticipate getting started and hopefully completing this year. So in that, there's another spray park at uh, Lions Park. We have some playground improvements. We have court repairs. Uh, Dad Perry will be one of our primary ones. Uh, Broken arrows calling for upgrade of the shelter and a restroom replacement. Youth sports complex has ADA parking and sidewalks. These the parking lots are kind of just a standard. We try to fix our worst parking lot every year. Victor Parks or Trail Extensions. So we have a pretty good list of projects. Here's that turf project that we had kind of installed in there. So whether that happens or doesn't happen, we've kind of allocated it. So about $4.6 million, which is a really good list of projects going into this year. So that'll keep us busy for, for a month or two anyway. Any questions on this?
0: Jackie Becker, Chair. Uh, Mark, can you tell me about the the spray park for Lions? Then do you perceive that we'll have two spray parks done for this summer, or is this one where it gets bidded on and it'll be next year then?
9: Yeah, so our tentative schedule for Lions is we're going to hire a consultant. So we have the RFP out for hiring a consultant right now. and That's due back next week. And we're going to change a little bit from what we did at, at Burroughs Creek. At Burroughs Creek, we did a design build. So in other words, the company basically build, bid to design it and build it. This one, we're going to actually hire an engineer to design it, then bid it out. So that's going to take a little bit longer. I anticipate probably starting construction late summer, so August, September. So I don't know if we'll get it open this year or not. I, I always have the goal to get it open in the year that it's budgeted, just, just to be a little true to the funding. But you know that's what we planned last year, too, and that didn't work. So...
0: All right. I don't see any additional questions that I believe takes us to the end of our meeting. And it looks like our next meeting will be, if you noticed on Valentine's day, February 14th at five thirty. So we, hopefully we can, you know, all exchange Valentine's or something. <laughs> um, if there's nothing else, I guess I'm looking for someone to, uh, make a proposal to end our meeting today.
5: Pat vote board member, I make a motion to adjourn the meeting.
2: Val Renault, I'll
0: second. All right. We have a first from Pat and a second from Val. So at this point, I believe we if all agree can adjourn. Well, thanks everyone.
6: Stay safe.
0: Yep, stay Bye. healthy. Take care, everyone. Any money left? I know. He's gone. I I have my shoulders back now. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you, Jackie.